Hey, hey, welcome on in. I am back in the saddle again, my friends. It is your boy, KV, coming at you from my Soul Renegade Sound Studios here in Minneapolis. I am welcoming you to another episode of the Ken Valdez Approach. My guest this week, I'll just put it this way. (laughs) If I started talking about everything this man has done in his nearly 40-year career, it would take up this entire show. I am not kidding. He's considered to be one of the truly great singers of our time or any time, if you ask me. He started when he was just 18 years old singing for the guitar virtuoso Ingve Malmsteen. And ever since then, this guy has been on an absolute rocket ride. His career is not even slowing down. He's gone on to front the likes of Journey. A little side note for you. The best Journey show I have ever seen, it was with Jeff fronting that band. No joke. He has an amazing supergroup called the Sons of Apollo. He works with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. This guy has lent his voice to the movie Rockstar. And then there's so much more. That's not even the tip of the iceberg. Like I said, I can go on forever about this guy's career. Another cool thing about him, he digs Prince, man. He is definitely a soul brother, man. I love this guy. He is a friend, and he is named Jeff Scott Soto. He has a brand new record out called Complicated, and we'll be talking a little bit about that and so much more. So without further ado, here it is, my conversation with the one and only Jeff Scott Soto. Hey, hey, I'm with Jeff Scott Soto. What's up, man? How you doing, Kenny? Yeah, I'm hanging in there, brother. How about right yourself? On. Yeah, you know what? Uh, just got back from Atlanta. Um, just did the Prague Power Festival that uh, that was postponed since 2020. So it was, uh, you know, it's the same question I'm being asked everywhere. And, of course, every single artist on stage is saying the same thing. It's so good to be back. It's it's good to see people again, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's, it's going to turn <laughs> into a cliche, stereotype, typical uh, response and answer. But it really, truly does feel good again. It feels normal again. Ah, oh, that's awesome to hear, man. I'm looking forward to finally getting out and playing you know, my first show and I don't know how long. So yeah, dude, it's, it, it's so surreal because it's as long as it took us to get used to wearing masks and, and, you know, locking down and not seeing people, it's taking just as much time, the same amount of time getting back to what we remembered. You know, you spend, I've spent 56 years of my life not having to worry about this kind of stuff or I'd rather say 54 because the last two years don't count. Right. <laughs> you, you're basically retraining yourself on how to coexist and, and you get to that point where you feel guilty, you feel weird going out unprotected. You know, you're going into a supermarket and going, "Oh my God, I forgot my mask." Oh, oh wait a minute, I don't need it anymore. It's, right. it's, it's uh, yeah, it's it's really strange. It, it took it took forever to remember the mask, and now it takes forever to forget you don't need it anymore. <laughs> they always say, you know, that a uh, longing, you know, makes the heart grow fonder, right? Sure. And being back on stage and seeing all those people, man, how did that feel for you? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the first exclamations I made. It's, uh, you know, I I didn't want to sugarcoat it because I wanted to show people how much it really meant to me. I, I didn't say, I miss you guys. I said, I fucking miss you guys because you emphasize <laughs> with the F word. It truly, it, it steps on the actual meaning of what you're feeling at that point. If right, you're just saying, right. I, I, I really miss you guys, it, you know, it could sound like you're just, it's just 
jiving them and just saying, ah, I miss you guys. I couldn't care about you. But when you say, I fucking miss you and I fucking miss this, they realize how serious it is that, uh, that you know, it feels good to be back. God, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah to experience you're, you're gonna love again. it. It's, it's gonna be that that uh, initial exhilaration. It's gonna, it's just gonna hit you out of nowhere. You're gonna go, wow! I can't believe I'm doing this again. It's, it's so strange, so surreal. It almost feels like going back to school or the Garage Band. You know where it all started for all of us. <laughs> that, that I can't believe I'm playing in front of people. <laughs> right, right. Is it like riding a bike to you? Did it feel? Oh, God, did it yeah. feel that way? Yeah, yeah. The only thing that wasn't. I mean, I had the greatest. I found some a lot of positives in the lockdown, and one of them was that I get to truly have vocal rest. I mean, I've been going, 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 pretty much since the early 2000s, or actually the late 90s when I was in that band, the Boogie Nights. Because I, with Boogie Nights, I was playing four nights a week for five years in a row. I had two weeks off a year. So imagine oh, you're doing, you're basically playing the entire, it's like being on tour for five years. And right. so after that, I was, you know, I, I stepped out of that to start stepping back into original music and touring and making records again. So it was a nonstop process since 1996. When you think about it, that's a long move. There's a long movement before somebody said, uh-uh, you ain't going nowhere. You ain't doing nothing. And of course, I did a lot of stuff from home, but not being able to go out and do it live—it's—it it truly. You, I lost my sea legs, so to speak. You—you—you kind of you, you, you learn as you go how to ration your energy and your stamina, moving around too much or moving around a lot, and then having to get to the mic and deliver. So that's the one part I kind of lost my my muscle memory on. I'm running around the stage. I'm so excited. I get to the mic, <sighs> <laughs> and you do have that that very. Oh, charismatic, just front man, you know, kind of thing going on. I've seen you. I've, I've, I've watched you. And you are absolutely a showman. You are a front man in every well, aspect you, of the brother. word. Yeah, it means a lot because it, it's sorry to cut you off. But I, I just no worries. jump on, tap on what you're saying as, as you're saying it. It's one of the, th one because we were talking before we started you know, before we're recording here, we're talking about Prince and we're talking, you know, between Prince and Freddie Mercury and David Lee Roth, those are the guys that gave me my, they were the ones that showed me that's what I want to do, but I want to do it like they do. I want to be in control. I want to be in command. I want to entertain, but I also want to make sure that I'm giving everything that are, that's expected of me. So as a singer, as a front man, as a, you know, a, a performer, all those things are so, all those factors are so important to me that I have to make sure every single person I'm singing in front of, whether they like me or not, whether they know me or not, they're walking away going, that dude's got, he's on to something. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, well, I mean, start, you, you yeah. hold the crowd in the palm of your hand. You have that ability to do so. And I can honestly tell you that is, that's, that's a skill that's few and far between. And obviously it seems like you, you took from the best, man. It's, and, and, and thank you for the compliment. I, it's it's a huge compliment for him because I take a lot of pride on what I do on the stage in terms of trying to entertain and trying. I, I mean, I'm entertaining myself too. Let's not be fooled. I'm not just there for you guys. I'm doing this for me too. And <laughs> and then and it even goes towards my band. Sometimes there's so many inside jokes, and you know, you're be, you're in a band. There's there's certain things that happen on stage on the side of stage that are basically between you and the guys in the band or the girls in the band, and only you guys know what's why you're laughing so much about it or entertained by it so much by it and that is a part of it that's the factor that comes with 
everything from entertaining them to entertaining myself to entertaining the guys and girls that I'm working with. So it's a, it's a massive circle of, I want to impress you. I want to impress me. I want to impress us. Yes. Yes. Tell me about off the stage, Jeff, what are you doing when you're not, you know, when you're not out and about and, and, and rocking out and, you know, being the front man. It's really hard to say I'm doing anything more than just music because it's I'm constantly in between something or starting something or as I'm finishing something, something else is coming up. Um, and it does fall into the same category of somebody like Prince, for instance, that the guy's yeah. life was music. His, his everything, his, the blood that flowed through his body and the bones inside of his body were all laced in music. And that's that's the same with me. Some of it is because of work in terms of sessions and being hired for a job, things that got to get done. And there are a lot of things that are labors of love. But the bottom line is the music is always in me and it's always flowing that it's never ending. It never stops. There's always something going on that I have to work on that are, or that I'm working on or finishing. And it's a great problem to have because I love this so much. Again, this is not work for me. This is This is like air for me this is like water is for a fish you know music is my it, it, it's they're my it's a set of lungs that i can't live without and so that being said there's not much more i'm doing when i'm not on stage or i'm not making a record because i'm preparing for the next outing unbelievable man i mean do you have any interests or hobbies outside of music that you know that you like yeah, to I mean, uh, I love, get into i love basketball i, I mean the, the lakers have been my team since the 80s you know since the, the magic johnson era showtime baby absolutely into, yeah i played basketball up, up till uh, i was a like a mid-teens when uh, i had a, a shoulder injury a rotated cuff injury and that's i always had music in me that but i also had a love and a passion for basketball that if the music didn't work which was never, that was never a factor. Music had to work. But, you know, my backup job or my backup plan was ho hopefully to be a pro basketball player. Because once, you, you know, as a musician, that's one of the things that they, when I'm asked all the time, what would you, um, what kind of advice would you give a young musician? And the only thing I can tell them is that if you really want it, you stay with it. If you, if you quit, if you find something else to replace it, if something else replaces it, it was never meant to be. That's not, that means you never really wanted it. If you really want it, no matter how long it takes and no matter what you got to go through, you're going to get there, but you got to stick with it. And that's the thing. There was no plan B for me. After the, the shoulder injury, I didn't want to start learning a new trade. I didn't want to pick up something. Uh, there was no real interest for anything else besides music. And even now, as I'm getting older and realizing, you know, my legs aren't going to last that much longer and my voice is probably not going to last that much longer, but I'm also on the the other side of the fence, whether it's writing, producing, and even managing at this point. So it's always going to be music because that's my life and that's all I know. You started really, if you want to call it professionally, at what, 18? Is 18, that yeah. right? Unbelievable. Uh -huh. Tell I mean, obviously it was with Yngwie, right? Right. And uh, yeah, you have the two, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to put it out <laughs> there, the two definitive Yngwie records or have you singing on it that's just you know i i love thank you for that that's a it's a great compliment once again and i have to throw in just for good measure i love the two that came or the three actually that came after i love trilogy i love what joel and turner did with him and then the album that i think was fire and ice that he did with uh yoran edmund everybody calls sure. him goran but his is the pronunciation's yoran and right. um 
I to me those were the best five Ingbe records, and you know that's just my opinion. It, I don't want letters. I don't want people saying, "Oh, what about this?" <laughs> that? No, this is no. my opinion. You have yours. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and th- and this is and this is definitely mine. And I'm I'm I'll be honest. I'm with you on Odyssey. I'm totally yeah. with you on the Jill and Turner record. It did prove that Ingve could write a good song. You know, that's one of the things he gets a lot of heat for in terms of his songs are written for guitar. His songs are written for what he does. And everybody, there's so many people saying, well, he needs to concentrate on songwriting, things that, that identify with a lot of people, with the masses. And that album proved that he could write a good commercial song with a hook that still allowed him to do what he does. And and he did a few after that as well. I think Trilogy had a lot of that. And I think uh, Fire and Ice had a lot of that. And then he started going, I just want to do heavy, and then I just want to do everything that's that's surrounding the guitar. And, right. you know, good for him. It's, it, it's working for him. It, it's worked for him. That's what he wants. Then more power to him. But uh, it, at least he did prove to the world that he could write an actual song. I mean, Heaven Tonight, you don't remember, I'll never forget. Those are killer songs. Oh, man, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But again, without you, I mean, obviously, <laughs> without you, I don't know if we'd actually hear Heaven Tonight. Maybe we would. Maybe we yeah. would. But, you know, here you are. You're 18 years old, and you're playing with this this phenom, right? And I guess I'm just, I'm curious about that starting block for you and, like, where you started from, how it got to uh, to Ingve, and then where it progressed from there. Well, yeah, it's... It, the, I got the bug very early on as a as a young kid, and that it truly came from Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five. That's where it really wow. all started for me. Um, for starters, let me just preface it by: I hated rock until maybe fourteen or fifteen. I did not identify with it. While all my friends were listening to Kiss and Ted Nugent and Cheap Trick, I, I couldn't stand this stuff. To me, it sounded like noise. It sounded like talentless garble. Because I grew up with things like Earth, Wind, and Fire, Motown, uh, Sam Cooke, uh, Jackie Wilson, the Jackson Five, and now the Jackson Five I related to mostly because I was a kid when they were just breaking. And as a kid, I saw Michael Jackson as a role model, saying, "If he can do it, I can do it." And that was one of the things that really jump-started me to want to sing because I, I always had the natural talent to sing. I, I had a natural ear, and I had a, a very long lineage of musical. Um, people in my in my my family, not not too many. Only a few of them actually pursued it, but none actually made it so far as or even close to some of the things that I've been able to pull off. But they just they were all musically inclined, especially on my father's side. There was always music at our house. There was you know we'd have family block parties, and there was always dancing and singing and music and people tapping on pots and pans and making you know percussive sounds and singing. It, it just it really was a celebratory household I grew up in in terms of the the music anyways um all through high school I junior high school and high school I was in bands with my brother cover bands you know just doing covers and kind of learning my craft I didn't necessarily start off as a singer I started off as a trumpet player who could sing background and play keyboards as well (laughs) the very first band I was in with my brother we I was 12 years old the first gig we had was at my my middle school and the uh the, the the singer that we had was in high school but we rehearsed for like weeks for these this our first gig and the singer wasn't there i was like where is he where's randy and so yeah he didn't show up and we're ready to play the bell rings and he's not there what are we gonna do we can't just play instrumentally boom 
fingers pointed at Jeff. You're the closest to singer we got. <laughs> you sang the songs at, at, at the rehearsal when he wasn't there. You're the singer. So I automatically, by default, became the lead singer of the band for that gig. And they were so impressed. And even my brother was so impressed. They had a little band meeting afterwards. They, they fired the other guy, and I was the singer. <laughs> I was the permanent singer that's at that point. Awesome. <laughs> so that's kind of, yeah. It, 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 talk, talk about uh, <laughs> throw me out in the, into a, a sh- the, the waters with the sharks swimming, yeah, right? swimming around. So, yeah, that was the, my first outing, and, and I'm sure it was horrendous. I'm sure if I had tape of it now, I'd make sure it was burned and nobody could hear it. But uh, <laughs> we got through it, and, and that's where the, the next bug came, that I wanted to be a frontman. I didn't want to be a, a background singer or a musician where I'm just, you know, kind of holding an instrument and, hold, you know, keeping the fort down. I wanted to be the frontman. But you also play. Yeah. That's great. Man. I play, yeah, I play by ear, and, and I learned later in school. I, I learned trumpet in school, and that's how I learned how to read music. But that's that's once I started making sense of the notes. Once I started knowing how to read music and knowing time signatures and read treble and bass clef, everything started becoming even more exciting because now I could actually read a guitar tab or or a, you know a, a piano a sheet music and actually learn the real chords of the songs I was listening to. You know, when you learn songs for the first time, you're pretty much just, you're, you're learning the songs in major or minor. You're not, you're not knowing that there's sixes and susses and nines and 11s and 13s involved. Right, right. You learn all that stuff as you go. And obviously music school helped me learn the dominance and major sevens, all those things that, that come along the way as you're learning music. But I, I did have the head start of knowing, of having the ear training. I mean, I, I, I learned later that I had perfect pitch. You tell me to give you an A, and I'll say, "Dumb." I'll give you an A. It, it's it's very helpful when a guitar player needs to tune his guitar and doesn't have a tuner. It's like, I can give you an A. I can give you an E just on command. And that's I wish I you could see my head exploding right now. <laughs> I, I'm not even joking. Like, if you could just see, like my 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 head is in my hands, and I'm just like, but I, you have you have perfect pitch. Of course, you have perfect. Funny. pitch. Unbelievable, man. But that, wow. this is what helped me learn how to find the notes and the chords when I was learning how to play the songs on keyboards. And then as I started learning theory and all that stuff in school and started making friends with guitar players in jazz band, because in marching band and school band, you only have horns and, you know, wind, wind strings and horns and drums. But once they started an actual jazz band in school, hey, there's a guitar player. Ooh, I want to learn how to play guitar chords. And ooh, I want to learn how to play bass. So that's where all the additional stuff started. All my training happened those formative years of playing the trumpet in high school. I'm sorry, junior high school, and then into high school, learning how to play uh, guitar and bass. And I I was so intrigued by music. I, I was the biggest sponge of wanting to learn everything and absorb everything I could. How did the gig with Ingve come up then? Because I mean, yeah. you were oh, sorry. 18. I kind of swayed. Yeah. No, I kinda, dude, no. That, I went that was amazing. <laughs> I was along I was, for the uh, ride, and the ride was good. Yeah. <laughs> My first real, true, original band uh, was in a band called Canaan, and I was 15 when I joined them. And I remember even fi- I found their ad in a, one of the local music trades. Looking, I was looking for a band. There was a band looking for a singer. I would basically call up all the ads that sounded like they that you know, I would be uh, a good fit. So I called this one. These guys lived in Agora Hills, California, which is strange because that's where I live now. I ah. literally live off Canaan Road, the name of the <laughs> road that they named the band after when I lived, you know, 40 minutes away. And I fought well before I was even driving. 
So I joined this band, Canaan, and they had original songs. And I, it was the first time I got to really write with other people and, and just complete strangers that were my band at that point. Um, unfortunately, the band broke up just after I graduated high school, and that was in 83. And uh, with no band, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I going to do next? I already hit that midlife crisis at the age of 17. That's so, insane. Um, <laughs> uh, my my best friend, he lived in Fort Collins, Colorado. He went back to live out there, and we were just talking. I said, like, "Yeah, Kanan broke up. Oh, what a bummer!" You know, he loved the demo tape that we made, and and he said, "Dude, there's a great cover band out here that needs a singer, and they they they're getting a lot of work, or they're missing a lot of work. If they had a singer, you'd be rolling in the bucks." And they play everything from Kiss, Judas Priest, all the stuff that I already knew by then. And I said, "Cool, I'm gonna come out and visit you and check him out." I ended up staying in Colorado. And while I was living out there, it, the first few months were great. First six, seven months were great. And then the gig started drying up. I'm like, oh, boy. And inner turmoil, changing members. I had nowhere to stay. Uh, I was sleeping on couches to the point where I couldn't even afford it, even to buy food. I was my, Me and my buddy were stealing food from 7-Eleven. I don't condone stealing, but we had to survive. <laughs> I just remember putting Hostess Pies in his hoodie and, you know, <laughs> basically running out there so we have something to eat for the night. So it was that bad. But anyways, I realized I, I can't keep doing this. I got to go back home. I called my mom, said I'm going to hop on a Greyhound and I'm going to get back home. And uh, and I remember Mark Goodman. I, I'm sure you remember Mark Goodman from MTV, the VJ. Absolutely, yep. He's, the MTV News comes on. He says, Swedish guitar sensation Ingve Malmsteen has left the band Alcatraz and he's recording a new solo album and it, apparently he's looking for a, a lead singer and it could be you. He pointed at the screen Nobody else was in the room. I'm like, that motherfucker's pointing at me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, but, man. But nice. of course, my confidence was nowhere near the level of thinking anybody would even look at me, much less, much less listen to me. The guys came back downstairs. Hey, Jeff, uh, we brought you a pop. I'm like, oh, my God, dude, Ingve Malmsteen's not an Alcatraz. I'm really? So I was a big Alcatraz and Steeler fan. I used to play Ingve's. I made a cassette once of just Ingve solos, just to blow people's minds. Like, listen to this guy. And people would tell me, all the, oh, no, that's sped up. There's no way anybody could play that fast. There's no way. i go, no, no, no. That guy, he's amazing. And I was just selling Ingve to so many people before he was even known. So I was excited about knowing that, you know, I heard this news for the first time. The first thing those guys said, you got to send your tape. I said, you're crazy. I was 16 when I sang on that Kanan, that Kanan demo. There's no way. There's no way. You got to send it. You, if you don't do it, you... If you don't do it, if you don't do it, it's going to be the same result. Nothing's going to happen. But if you yeah, do it, never you never know what could happen. Exactly. Right. So a little coaxing, they finally talked me into it. And again, I was so broke, I couldn't even afford the dollar thirty-three that it cost to buy the envelope and send the tape to Damn. California. <laughs> it was that bad. Yeah. So you went to Seven Eleven and you ripped it off, right? No, no, no. no. Luckily, my my buddy, the, my buddy's house that we were over, the the guy that we were hanging out with, he said, "Dude, we're going to the post office tomorrow. We're sending your demo." And then, so we took some Polaroids because I didn't have any. We don't have press kits when you're when you're just a kid. You know, this is right. this is a completely different time. You know, right, before right. social media and all these smartphones, you have no way of getting anything out to people. Right. So yeah, we we sent the tape, and I remember calling my mom saying, "Hey, I'm I'm coming home next week, but in the meantime, I just sent the tape to this this audition. If you hear from anybody for a guy named Ingve Malmsteen, who Ingve Malmsteen? She goes. Wee wee wah, you know. Back then, that was that was the whole thing. Everybody, nobody could say his name, and right, I had right. to like phonetically spell it to her. 
So I said, if anybody calls, please get a phone number. Do not say he's not here. And, the, and I missed the opportunity of, an, of uh, an audition. Right. So nothing happened. Got on my bus, went back to L.A. Not even six days later. I remember it was a Saturday. There was a, a call, and uh, and it was the office of Ingve Malmsteen saying uh, they, they got my tape, and Ingve wanted to meet me. And... I'd like to say the rest is history, but there's a whole nother long story that goes with that. Oh too. my! Well, I mean, I'm just I'm fascinated, dude. You got to understand, like, I mean, there, there there's probably some of your diehards that that totally know the story and everything. This yeah. is interesting to me because I look at not just you know in the in the beginning of your career, right? I'm not, yeah. and and the fact that those records are very, oh man, they're 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 landmarks for heavy metal. Yeah. They are. That's what they are. Right. But I also look at you and your entire body of work, which it's it's massive, dude. It's yeah. massive. And I'm curious about this because you had to start somewhere, right? right? And this was your starting point. You're 18 years old and you're singing with Ingve. And then, man, <sighs> All these years later, you know, forty years later, you're you're still doing this, and yeah. you're better than ever. And Thank man, you, yeah, it it just it kind of blows my mind to see um, this transformation, this this journey that you have been on musically, to hear your influences, to see the progression and how things have worked out, and and God, right. it's insane. It's insane. Uh, it, it, and, you know what? It blows my mind too, and it's it a testament to a lot of hard work and a lot of tenacity and not giving up. But the the main thing is, I started this conversation with exactly that. I don't know anything else. This is this is the only thing I I can do. This is the only thing I want to do, and the only thing I'm gonna do. So, no, there was no no in in my path. There was no taking no for an answer, as they always say. You know, one door closes, another one opens. As far as I was concerned, there was never going to be a closed door. Even if something shut in front of me, there's there's always going to be five open doors that I'm going to be able to walk through because that's that's that was my commitment to what I was doing. How I even got into rock music is crazy in itself because I only listen to R and B. I only listen to soul and, and Motown and Temptations and Bee Gees and Air Supply and even Doobie Brothers. That's like the heaviest that would have been in my arsenal. But then a band called Toto came around. It was <laughs> yeah, man. when the first time I heard Bobby Kimball singing, I thought, hang on a second. This is a black dude singing with hard rock guitars under him. Until right. I finally saw a video. I'm like, hey, that's a white dude. Get out of here. <laughs> so to know that there was a way that you can inject soul and R&B and funk and all those different sides of the fence into hard rock music, that's when it all started. I, I've told Luke this story many a time. But the only reason I went to the California World Music Festival back in 1979 was because Toto was playing. I went there to see Toto. I, there was, it was a two-night event. I'll never forget this. I'll never live it down as long as I live. Aerosmith and Van Halen played the second night, and I intentionally went the first night to see Chip Trick and Ted Nugent because my buddy, he was a huge Nugent fan, and he right. loved Cheap Trick. If I had to switch it now, I would have absolutely gone to the Van Halen Aerosmith night because those two bands became such a massive force in my DNA eventually. But back right. then, I couldn't stand them. I couldn't stand, to me, this, 
Aerosmith looked like a bunch of drugged out hippies. It just sounded awful to me. I don't know why it, it didn't sure. appeal to me because the same songs I listen to now, I love, I sing at the top of my lungs and I love this band to death. And the same with Van Halen. You know, David Lee Roth got a lot of flack through the years of not being a great singer, but that dude was the ultimate showman. He was the ultimate totally. front man. And he didn't need to be a Lou Graham or a Bobby Kimball or a Steve Perry because he had something else that those guys never had and never would have. And that's if I was if I was influenced earlier, I probably would have had even more of a <laughs> an arsenal in my back pocket by the time I got the Ingve gig. God, and that's that's again just crazy. I yeah. love that you are a musical sponge. That's yeah. exactly the way that I, I've I've viewed you for all of these years, man. You know, I remember being a kid. I remember being yeah. a kid, and God, I must have been. Oh, let me think about this. Oh, God, the first Ingve record came out in 84, 85? 84, yeah. 84. Uh -huh. So seriously, man, I would have been seven years old Jeez. when I first heard Ingve. Oh, my When God. I first heard you, right? And at seven, dude, at seven is when I, I heard that voice, and it's like, yeah, this is cool. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole of rock and roll Really, at, at at that point, you know, a few years later, I remember turning on the radio. I was all of 13 years old, and I remember Eyes being on the radio, calling all girls right. and, you know, doing the thing like that. Man, I remember Eyes, man. I remember Eyes, and then just, <laughs> it, it's just like, you have that voice, man. You have that voice that, um, it's like an old friend. You know, man, and and it always kind of comes around, and it's like, oh yeah, there's Jeff. You're firing on all cylinders today with all the compliments, man. Hey man, <laughs> I'm know. just being. I don't know. I'm how, just being honest, brother. I'm just being how many honest. Times I can say thank you, but man, it, it, it means a lot. It, it, see, this this is the kind of stuff that means more to me than any of the rewards that come with being a musician or or a rock star, so to speak. To be able to hear that. I touch somebody's soul or that I influence somebody or that uh, one of my songs means something to somebody that means way more than a, a big royalty check or, you know, buying a new boat or big house on the hill. All that stuff is so secondary compared to what passing or paying it forward, doing what you do and people actually jumping on it and going, this is the reason why I'm doing this. Or this song got me through this time. All those little things are, is why I do this. Those are the things that keep me going. Those are the things that make me go, man, I, I can't walk away from this. I love this too much because I love getting that kind of accolade to the point where it makes me want to just do more. Yeah, well, I'm going to give you one more. <laughs> it's like, no, no, don't stop. But no, <laughs> no I'll, give you, I'll give you one more. And this is me as, as a singer, as a vocalist, right? You have, you have a baritone. Yeah. Your baritone voice, yeah. you know, that yeah. has tremendous range. Don't get me wrong. You have insane range. I was a tenor. Once I was a tenor. <laughs> I, 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 as was I when I was much younger and, uh, you know, without smoking yeah. cigarettes and, and drinking too much, probably I'd, I'd, I'd still be a tenor. But, uh, man, the thing is, yeah, right. you, you have that big, you have that big voice, man, and you got that baritone voice. And as a singer, I looked at you. Because a lot of the a lot of the people that I love to listen to were all tenors, right? But then there's you, man, right. and it's like this guy makes sense. This guy makes sense on so many mm. levels because you know you again you have these 
these influences that I relate to. I relate to right. Sam Cooke. I relate to Jackie Wilson. I relate to Steve Perry. Yeah. I relate to Bobby Kimball. And then there's this guy who not only, you know, relates to it as well, but he has that voice like I do, that big baritone. Right. And, you know, and you hear those influences. <laughs> so thank you so much for serving as an influence vocally and just showing me that, like, yeah, baritone guys can do it too, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so yeah. funny. We, we're talking about voices and, and genres and styles, and I... I one of my biggest things growing up, even even just when I was a kid or a teenager in the band Canaan or any other band that I was in, my biggest things, the biggest, uh, I'm going to say downfall for me was I didn't feel I had a vocal identity. I didn't have a vocal stamp. I didn't have somebody that, you know, when you listen to Perry, when you listen to Freddie, when you listen to even David Roth, you, you only need one line or even just a couple words and you know who that is singing. And I always thought, I don't have that vocal identity. I don't know what it's going to take to get it. But even joining Yngwie, I, I, it was just a few years into loving rock and roll and, and, and heavy metal and all that stuff. And I didn't have enough influence to have my own style, my own sound. So that first Yngwie album, and even Marching Out, uh, I'll, I'll even go back to that. All I was doing there is trying my best to sound like Bruce Dickinson and Ronnie James Dio. Because I figured... Those are the two kings of what's going on uh, in metal right now. If I can sound like them or even try to sound like them, I'm going to fool people into thinking I'm a badass metal singer. Oh, and man. When I listen back now, I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I wasn't forcing to try to sound like those guys and just actually just sang. But then it might have been a little too weak and wimpy because my voice was coming from the other world of Earth, Wind & Fire and Michael Jackson and, you know, another world that didn't exist it didn't even belong in the same uh, the same area code, so uh, oh, for me it was it was more or less impersonating other singers for me to finally find something that worked with the, within the context of that music, and then eventually I started marrying the the original style, the original R and B, and the the kind of soul kind of thing into the hard rock thing, and then all of a sudden my sound was born. I gotta take a short break from my conversation with Jeff Scott Soto to tell you a little bit about Quilter Amplifiers from Quilter Labs and the mind, the madness, the wizardry that is Mr. Pat Quilter. Guitar players, bass players, steel players, these guys have something for you. And let me tell you, they sound incredible. These amplifiers that they're making are small powerful they pack a punch they're portable they're light it's not the size that matters people it's not so they say but these guys prove it the tone that they get is unbelievable and it's not going to break your back it's not going to break your bank account and they sound great i gotta give them some big props because i'm about ready to hit the road too in fact my first date back is a flyout date with ZZ Top of all bands. Can you believe that? Nah, I'm way excited. But check this out. These guys hooked me up with things called the Superblock US and the Superblock UK. These things are the size of my hand. And they're amplifiers. And they sound amazing. So no matter where I go, I'm going to have my sound with me. I'm going to have incredible tone because these guys know tone. So... 
go check out Quilter at your favorite guitar stores or go to quilterlabs.com to check them out for yourself. I gotta give them just the biggest props. They're amazing. Quilter Labs, you guys are the best. www.quilterlabs.com. Go check them out now and tell them Ken Valdez sent you. If you were to describe your sound to somebody, how would you do it? What is the Jeff Scott Soto sound? It's kind of the reason I named my new solo album what I did, because that answer <laughs> is it's complicated. complicated. Yes. <laughs> that's, yes. that's the answer to a, a journalist gave me at the end of an interview I was, when I was doing the, uh, the interview cycle for the, the duets album. We were ending the interview with, one more question. If I went to somebody who has no idea who Jeff Scott Soto is, doesn't know your name, doesn't know your sound, doesn't know your music, what would be the best way to describe you as an artist? And I said, it just came out. I said, dude, it's complicated. I, I can't, I don't have a direct answer for that because there are too many derivatives involved that, that make me what I am today without every, any one of those little pieces Right. I wouldn't be what I am. So am I a, an R&B singer? No. Am I a soul singer? No. Am I a metal singer? Am I a rock singer? No. Am I a classic rock singer, melodic rock singer, AOR? No. Are you all of the above? Kind of, yeah. And, and that's, <laughs> this is what, that's what I prided myself on. Being such a massive fan and student of Freddie Mercury and Queen was also a massive thing for me because... I saw what they were going after. I saw that they wanted to be the jack of all trades and master of them. And it's very rare. It's it's almost impossible to be able to tap into so many different things musically and get away with it and be believable. And that band pulled it off to this day. Yes, they did. You listen to anything from the first album until Innuendo or even Made in Heaven, which wasn't an official album because Freddie was already right. gone. But right. if you listen to anything in between those records band that's impossible to pinpoint as to what they're about they didn't have they weren't a rock band they weren't a, they weren't an opera band they were they were all of the above and right. i strived i pushed and and worked my ass off to be one of those all of the above you know all of the above artists and right. i'll never get there i'll never be as good as i'll never compare myself to freddie or queen or the people that inspired and influenced me but i can say i took what they gave me and made it what I was able to turn it into today. And that's that's my contribution to music is what they gave to me to kind of leave my own chapter behind. That's awesome. And, you know, talking about complicated, when I listen to it, and I've gone through it several times at this point, I can't help but think that complicated, it sounds almost like a retrospective of your career. Was that intentional? The last two were very intentional in that. In that, for my solo stuff, I try to, I try to include a little bit of everything that's kind of occurred through my life and my in my career and, and the things that I've been able to do and released, etc. With the people I've done it with, I mean, there's there's always an element in my solo stuff of everything. It's like a culmination, so to speak, of everything that I've done, even to the point where that's what forced me to start the band Soto because. To be honest with you, the first Soto record was supposed to be the next Jeff Scott Soto record. But um, first of all, the label didn't like it because it was too heavy. You know, they'd spent a lot of years 
pushing me and, and marketing me as more of a melodic rock singer where clearly I don't like being defined by any, any sound, any genre. I, I just like doing music. I like doing things that feel good. But unfortunately, they didn't like the heaviness of it, and I had to take it elsewhere. And the manager I was working with at the time told me, Jeff, I got a problem with this. This doesn't sound like a, a JSS album. It doesn't sound like a solo record. This sounds like a band album. So my two cents is I'm going to get the deal for you. I'm going to get this happening, but you you need to have a band. And I'm, I, at that point, I'm like, I don't want another band. I've got so many bands and projects under my belt it's easier to just to be Jeff Scott Soto and sell it as that because that's, you know, this is something that means a lot to me as a, as a, as a solo record. But I understood his point. It's, it's the sound was too band sounding. It sounded like it was a, a something that we did as a team effort in terms of guitar solos and riffs and things that a little more involved than just the singer. So that's what talked me into it. And that's why I started Soto it was a, kind of like a, an offshoot of what I wanted to do, but it was also the, to do something that 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 you know the label didn't want me to do it was a chance for me to say yes i'm gonna do this even though they said no i can't <laughs> so right, uh, right. yeah it's i i don't know my my initial point is i couldn't stand being labeled and, and stereotyped as a particular artist you know when i left ingbe i was getting all these offers to be the guitar player singer you know i did a few things this this guitar player named Cooney in japan and Alex Mossy and Axel Rudipel, but I didn't want to be uh, somebody's puppet, somebody else's shadow. You know, I wanted to be what Eddie Van Halen had in Dave Roth. The band was called Van Halen, and, and it was Eddie Van Halen, but it wasn't a solo project. It was a right. badass guitar player with great riffs that was centered around the guitar player and the singer, and I wanted that. I didn't want to just be a shadow of somebody else, and that's why my, my whole focus and everything I was doing and everything I've done was to make sure that I was equal to what I, whoever I was working with and how I was working. So my solo albums are exactly that. They're a culmination of things that I've done. And when we did the la the first one I did with Alessandro was Wide Awake in My Dreamland. I remember, he remember telling me, he said, because I said, you're writing the songs for this album. I love the way you write. I love what you're doing with everybody else. So he was happy that I was giving him the, the leash to write all the songs, even though I was going to write the lyrics and melodies myself. Mm -hmm. But he said, okay, what I'm, I'm going to go about this this way i want to i want to write songs that are based around what i love about your career i want to write songs that sound like they're extensions of the things that i've already heard you sing that i love through the years of your, your body of work and and then he modernized it from there he made it sound fresh and new and not just a plagiaristic version of something i already released i wow, love nice. the way he did that but but for complicated he said now we're gonna we're gonna refine we're gonna kind of hone in on a sound or one of your genres, one of your things that you've done that you don't do anymore. And that's Talisman. Talisman has been, you know, inactive for a, a, enough years, but that's the one side of the musical kind of chain that I'm missing. And that dude knows how to write a Talisman song. I'll tell you right now, because yeah, the first couple like songs it. he sent me, I was like, oh my God, this could have been a Talisman song. There's even one song in there that sounds like it reminded me of a song that we had called Coming Home. And intentionally I wrote the song the lyrics called home again because it's like i'm coming home again it was that's, kind of the sequel to coming home that's the one and that was the one yeah. that i was thinking is like man this is this is a total talisman song absolutely so there are a lot of songs on the album that were more directive to the talisman sound and, and vibe because yeah i've i've kind of tapped into that a little bit with the band wet you know the, the influence from wet it comes from 
from Sweden more so than it comes from the fact that those guys loved our records growing up. But that's the influence of how they even write their stuff has a very talisman kind of influence. So they know how to write that kind of stuff too. But for some reason, Alessandro's has, he's just got it down. I think even if Marcel were still alive today, he would hear that and go, man, I got to give that guy 20 bucks for, for, <laughs> for writing something that sounds like something I would have written. You've had just an incredible career. What has been the biggest highlight for you? That one highlight that just stands out so far above all else. That's, it's a stacked question because there are some things that are emotionally uh, involved in that reply. And there's some things that are musically involved some both um emotionally has to be singing for journey at the hollywood bowl wow i remember yeah. being in june in in high school and do you remember i don't know if you're old enough to remember the peachy folders the yellow folders with the they had like sports figures and somebody playing tennis it was like a, somebody i do a remember those okay. yeah we always used to draw on our peachy folders we'd write you know dabble on them whatever I always used to write, um, I, always, I used to draw my favorite band's logos on them. I drew the Van Halen logo on one. I drew the Styx logo on another, the Queen logo. That was, my thing was drawing logos from the bands that I loved. And yes. on the inside of the of the of uh, my peachy folder, just if you take out all the papers and then all the contents on the inside of the actual folder itself, I remember writing a timetable of what I wanted, what I expected out of myself as a singer, what I wanted out of life. At 16 years old, I already said, by the time I'm 18, I want to I want to be in a signed band touring. By the time I'm 21, I need to have a gold album. By the time I'm 30, I need to have already earned my first million and and you know, gotten away from this whole welfare and food stamps lifestyle that I unfortunately had to live, you know, early on in life. I had my goals already set out for me. I had a goal to play Madison Square Garden and I had a goal to sing at to headline at the Hollywood Bowl. I didn't have a year when this had to happen by, but those were part of my goals. They were these are my aspirations. I have to do this within my lifetime, my career. The only one out of everything I wrote that day or on that folder or whatever that year, the only one I haven't done is play Madison Square Garden. Unbelievable. Actually, wow. my my mother 15 rows back my high school friends in 2006 singing journey songs our favorite band our, our alma mater in in high school was journey for my people to be there my family to be there i'm getting goosebumps now talking about it to uh, be able too. to play the hollywood bowl it, it to me was probably i i could have died at that moment and been completed my life was complete oh, now man. that's on the emotional side that's that's what that gig meant to me Right. On the musical and emotional side, I, as many things as I've had through my career and my lifetime, uh, on the career side, I would have to say playing uh, the Vakken Festival with Trans-Siberian Orchestra in 2014, I believe it was, uh, 2014 wow. or 015. We played at the Vakken Festival. We are the only act in history that has played both stages simultaneously. And there's a reason... There's a reason why you have two main stages, a big festival like that. While one is playing, the other one's setting up. So as soon as right. the, the one is done, everybody shifts over and you still have a main stage in front of you. You don't really have to move that much to see your favorite band. They're both, both are right there in front of you. 
but no one has ever, ever accessed both stages. One of the reasons is there's not enough power in that city to power up two stages. TSO had to, they spent a ton of money to bring in their own power to power the second stage so we can actually have oh, wow. two running simultaneously. <laughs> but to, the, the, the site, there were a couple clips that were professionally edited and released on YouTube of that night. If you look up TSO, Bakken Festival, you, and you see the, it's just so insane on how it looks. Two stages simultaneously, the lights, everything's in sync, all the pyros in sync, two full bands, 16 piece bands on both stages, 32 people in sync. It is awesome. It is so awesome. I'll never forget talking to Paul O'Neill about this. Paul O'Neill, the founder of TSO, he right. said, Jeff, when the Beatles played on the top of the roof, their last concert they ever played and filmed, that was, they made three. When U2 did it for their video, uh, The Streets Have No Name, I forgot which video they did when they were yep. on the roof doing that, people will always say the Beatles did it first. If anybody ever has the balls to do this again, <laughs> people are going to say TSO did it first. That's I awesome. love, especially at this age, to be a part of a first, of, of any capacity. At this age, right. I'm almost 60, and to be a part of something that was a first is very rare anymore. So that is... On a on a career side, that is like one of the most awesome things I've ever experienced in my life. Now, if you put career and emotional in the same picture, I have to say the night that we recorded the live DVD with Sons of Apollo in, in uh, Bulgaria. Because wow. that setting with something I wrote that I created with the guys that I'm on stage singing with, it wasn't TSO's music, it wasn't Journey's music, it was something I was a part of the inception, the very early stages of with an orchestra behind me, with right. a choir behind me, in an amphitheater that was built before Christ was born. I, I again, I, I'm my, my the hairs, the, the little hairs I have on my arm are standing up, and goosebumps because emotionally it got to me because this is, this is like my music. This is my music with these guys, with my guys. There's five guys that created this sound, and these people are here to hear this sound that I'm a part of. It's not somebody else's music I'm singing. So on the emotional side, that's what get me. But on the career side, to be able to play in that setting with those people and the, the orchestra and the symphony and everything, that it's it, it really is beyond words. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean I'm 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 getting the goosebumps, man. I'm you know, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool, man. I love I love hearing stuff like that, especially from people that have that have done so much, man. I mean, and you've you've shared the stage with your heroes, dude. Yeah. And uh -huh. and your heroes I mean they're they're seriously like the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll. Absolutely. You know, when I look at it. How did that feel? To me, it, yeah, how does that just, how does that feel uh, to go from like 18-year-old, you know, stealing from 7-Eleven right <laughs> to like and that's, that's hanging with your me heroes. The most. I mean, I I'm still I'm still a fan. It's it's very difficult uh, even at this age and at, at this stage it's difficult to put the fanboy down when I'm hanging out with, say, Brian May or, or when I started, you know, when we started Soul Circus with Neil Sean. Right. Of course, you got to play cool. You, you can't be a fanboy. You, you're going to turn these people off and they're going to not write back to you or, they, you, you know, they're going <laughs> to see you as, okay, this guy doesn't know how to keep his cool. I, I don't want to work with people like this. So you got to learn how to contain it and control it. 
But deep down, I still remember that kid with the bedroom, you know, all the clippings from Circus Magazine and Cream Magazine and the hit parader of my favorite rock stars up on my wall. And now they're in my phone book. Now they're in my contacts list. It's wow. crazy. Right. It's just crazy. And so, yeah, you, you have those pinch me moments and, and you realize, hey, I'm one of them now. They're, we're colleagues now. We're peers. I'm not a fan anymore, just a fan anymore. But deep down, I'll forever be a fan, and I don't ever want to lose that. I forever want to feel that that sense of it's because of you guys I'm here, and now I get to leave my mark, and hopefully somebody else will say it's because of you I'm here. You know, it's that right. paying it forward thing. God, I love that. I'll tell you this, too. I mean, rock and roll comes with its drama, and I'm not going to be rehashing anything like that. Sure. But one of the things that I find really just just awesome about you, man, is the fact that I've caught a few interviews and things that you've said where, you know, you talk about just just wanting things to be to be cool, to be to, you know, if there's any beef you had with anybody, you don't want to go out with, you know, with drama right? or or, or things that are, you know, uh, with uh, with loose ends. You know, you, you have that mentality God, man, what a breath of fresh air. It really is. So well, just, Ken, just, you know, man, it's, it, it really stems, a lot of that stems from the rock role, the rock star, the, the, the whole personification of a rock star. As much as it was a huge thing for us, I want to be that. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. There was also an element of it that turned me off. There was a, a I didn't want to be, smug i didn't want to be an asshole to people i didn't want to be rude i didn't want to be conceited egotistical um i'm better than you get away from me who are you you know i didn't want to be that guy there's too much of that already and yes. again for, for however people are and however they choose to live their lives and and uh and treat others i had to make sure that my true nature it was will always remain and that was to to, to be respectful to people to treat others as I expect them to treat me, not as they have treated me, because if I'd done that, I would have been the biggest asshole on the planet. <laughs> but that's what you. made every time I was treated badly, poorly, or or disrespected, what any any of that stuff, it made me really truly enforced that I I was on the right path of who I wanted to be, how I wanted to be represented, how I want to represent myself, how I want to represent my mother and how she raised me. Do I want people to say, what a rude, arrogant asshole. His mother raised him wrong, or that's the product of somebody of bad parenting. Of course not. Right. I yeah. want people to be proud of the way my mother raised me. I want them to be, I want to be proud of the way my mother raised me. And I wanted to show that, that respect to everybody, the courtesy, the niceness, the not being personified as an ass. And right. that to me was as important as the career path and everything that came with it. Uh, to this day, I just made. I just wanted to stay as grounded as I could, and I just wanted to make it the, about the music. It, we can make it about me when it comes to what I like and despite my hobbies and things I laugh at and the kind of music I listen to. You can make that all about me all you want, but as far as how you see me, that was more important to me that it came across the way my mother could actually say I raised that kid right. Yeah, and that's awesome, man. I love that. That makes me feel so good, dude. And, you know, right just, on. you know, a, a side note on that, dude, is just the fact that w when it when it comes down to the crowd itself, 
You know, yeah. I mean, these are people that listen to you. These are the people that, that give us a career. Yeah. So I love playing rock star, man. I, I love getting on stage, shaking my ass, moving my hips, singing, showing off, being funny, being a clown, all that stuff. I love it. To me, that's being a rock star. When I'm off stage, I'm just a dude, man. I'm just, I breathe, I eat, I shit, I do everything that everybody else does. <laughs> it's nobody, there's nobody out there shitting gold and, and you know, and, and pissing champagne. I want to be perceived the same way as you're perceived. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're, we're one people. You might have a great talent, somebody who can build a rocket and send people to the moon as yeah. a great talent, but it doesn't make you better than me as much as me being able to sing Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't make me better than you. It's the right. same thing in terms of we are people. We, we are all here for a reason. We all have our place of what we do, and let's just all share this, these talents and share this love and share this laughter together as opposed to mocking and, and, and putting each other down. It's so unnecessary. I agree with you. I agree with you, man. And again, just thank you for, for being that breath of fresh air. Like, that's just a, I, I wish that more people could have that outlook and hopefully they hey, will. I thank my mother. I, they, they all came. I was raised by a single parent. You know, my, I, I'm very close with my father still, but they were divorced when I was two. And my mother basically kept me on the straight and narrow. She was my mother and my father. And I, I give that woman all the credit in the world for the person that I became. Hey, well, thank you, Mom. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that we're getting down to the uh, end of this thing, man, usually what I do is I ask you questions, okay? And this is just yeah. rapid fire, dude, so it's just off the top of your love head. It. All yeah, right? I love it. All right, so yeah, here we I know, go. I know one of, one of them's going to make me go, uh, uh, oh, man. Uh, oh, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going there, baby. I'm going there because it's happened to everybody. Everyone. And yes. I love it. I, I awesome. relish in that last question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyhow, here it is, man. Here, we'll get started here. Top three singers for you. Freddie Mercury, Steve Perry, Sam Cooke. I'll take that all day long, probably. And I, you know what? I can't even tell you what order, I, because there, there is no order. They're they're top one. <laughs> There's three yeah, guys yeah. that basically they're all tied for first place. Right, right. Oh my God, man! And just the fact that you got to play both of them, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be that guy in the oh, brother. That's so cool. <laughs> I right can't on. even tell you. All right, your top three desert island records. Jellyfish spilt milk. Wow, that came out of nowhere. Good Van, call. Van Halen, fair warning. And the hard line, according to Terrence Trent Darby. Dude, okay, you and me, like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're my soul brother, man. I feel right this. I dig this. <laughs> Do you ever check out uh, Vibrator by Terrence Trent Darby? Uh, I, 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 I have to go with number one because that's the one that got. I love. I, I love Symphony or <laughs> Damn. I uh, I, oh, I can never remember the, the name that he changed his name to, but I love that stuff. The Wild Card album. I, yeah. I love Terrence. Terrence is a god to me. But I, it's weird because I don't play. I don't play his name enough when I'm talking and doing interviews. It's always Freddie and Perry and Sam Cooke. But Terrence is one of those extremely important singers in my life. God, what a badass. Oh, my yeah. God, that voice. Yeah, dude, yeah, you and I, uh, yeah, you're like my you're, you're, pff, fucking kindred spirit, soul brother. Yeah. yeah. I feel you, man. Yes, all right. I like that list. I like that list a lot. All right. 
if you could tour with anybody, this is a two-parter now. If okay. you could tour with anybody alive, who would it be? And same thing, if there was uh, somebody that you could tour with that is not with us, who would it be? I used to have these uh, wish list kind of uh, fantasy bands that I put together. And ever since I started singing for Sons of Apollo, those that, that, that wish list fantasy band thing just went away. Because as far as I'm concerned, my fantasy dream wish list band would be Bumblefoot, Mike Portnoy, Billy Sheen, and Derek Sherinian. Yeah, dude. Wow. Cool. Now, if and what was, about... Yeah. If yeah. there was somebody not with us anymore... Uh, whatever the configuration of the band that would be, Prince would be my guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I can't I say he'd it. be my singer because I got to I got to do something. You got to do so. something. Oh my god! Uh, and it's it's funny, man. Just you know, being here in Minneapolis, whenever he'd do anything sitting in, yeah, he would play guitar. He'd let somebody yeah, exactly. else sing. Exactly. And that was so cool. It was oh, so cool, guys. I, and I don't want to say he's underrated. There's a, there's a, there are enough people that realize and discovered later in his career and in his life that realized what a badass he was with a guitar. Oh, and one of my yeah. favorite things I still listen to, I still get goosebumps and still just like I, I'm just in awe to this day when I, I hear is when at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, yes. where he jammed with uh, Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn. They did uh, Still My Guitar Gently Weeps. And the solos he did on that, I was like, oh, oh my God, just unbelievable. Yeah. And to him, it was probably just like, yeah, this ain't nothing. You know, yeah, God, exactly. I guess uh, what a showman, what a, all oh, everything. Just he he made you. The guitar was part of his bar, his body, his yeah. leg work, his his antics, his facial facial movements. Everything about that guy was so inspiring, and it just made me want to just up my game every time I watch him. And and today being the end, you know, to, this, this is his is, birthday. He would have been sixty four years old today. It's Every year, you know, be, whether it's the day we lost him or on his birthday, I pay tribute to him, and I will forever Same. pay tribute to him because that's 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 my guy. You know, Prince was yeah. my guy. I, I met him once. I didn't meet him the way I would love to have met him. As far as I'm concerned, when you meet your heroes, you want to be introduced by somebody who can introduce you with the way you feel you need to be introduced. In other words, hey, Prince, I'm a singer too. That's not how I wanted to meet him. Right. The way I met Roger Dalton, Tree. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm dropping names. Uh, uh, go ahead, man. Yeah. Met, <laughs> yeah, the way I met Dal Roger Daltrey, it was amazing because we did a, it was one of those all-star, um, it was a corporate gig, but it was an all-star cast, and Roger was one of the singers, and Roger Taylor was also one of the singers and drummers. And I've known Roger Taylor for many years now, and we were just backstage, and the Rogers were speaking to each other. I was going to say goodbye to them because we were saying, you know, bidding each other adieu. And uh, Roger Taylor says, Roger, Roger, do you know Jeff Scott Soto? And he goes, no, I don't. And uh, he goes, ah, oh, Jeff is one of the best singers out there. It's like, oh, oh I could die right now. Roger <laughs> Taylor just introduced me to Roger Daltrey. He's one of the best singers out there today. Nice. That's it. I, I quit. That's, I would have loved to have met Prince under the same circumstances and, and pretense because, you know, when you meet your heroes, you want them to know that not only that you only exists because of them right you you exist in a lot of what you're doing because of them but you also want to be able to prove it i would want i'd want to be introduced that way to somebody like prince so he can maybe go home later that night and look and go yeah now i get why that person said that in introducing us that's it's it, it, it just 
that's this, this sense of all my work to be validated, to be able to, for somebody like that to say, now I get it. And, you know, right. that, that would have been cool. I met Perry twice in my life, and uh. both times were w way before Soul Circus A Journey. But the first time I met him, it was backstage uh, after watching Extreme. He was in the bus talking to Nuno and the guys, and I came on sure. to say hello, and, and I got to meet him. And I, I remember before I left, I said, listen, I, I've got a band that I just released, uh, the, the album we released called Eyes, and there's a ghost track on there. It's an acapella ghost track that was absolutely inspired by you and Sam Cooke. And, of course, his ears perked. You talk about Sam Cooke, that, that's Perry's hero. Right, and I said it's an acapella. I would love to send you a copy of the CD or the copy of the album. Can you give me an address I can send it to? He wrote down an address. Of course, it wasn't his. Right. No, th that's awesome. I'm going to send them a copy of the CD. I got home. I looked everywhere. Could not find this thing anywhere. Oh no! I was like, you got to be kidding me. So a few weeks passed by. We're doing some show at the Shark Club. That's not there anymore in downtown LA. It was a Randy Rhodes memorial gig or uh, one of these uh, anniversaries to his passing. Sure. Gigs. And I was singing that night. There were, it was all-star cast of do people doing things for Randy. Perry was in the audience. I'm like, whoa. I went to Perry. I'm like, Steve, we met at the Extreme Show. I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you. The address you gave me, I wanted to send you a copy of the, the CD so you can hear that song. And I lost the address. I'm so sorry. Can I trouble you to write it down again? Because I'd love to send you the CD. He says, you don't need to. I went out and bought it. I was like, wow. Oh, like, man. No, no, no. It, the first thing, I'm okay. He's just snow. He's, he's, he's just blowing smoke. Bullshit. He right. says, yeah, it's just saying something nice to make me feel good. But then he starts, not only did he talk about the acapella thing that I did that he loved, and he saw that, that I credited him on the album. It said special thanks, uh, inspiration, vocal influence to Sam Cooke and Steve Perry. He mentioned that. I never told him that I wrote that on there. But then he starts oh, wow. he starts telling me, oh, I like that song. I believe it was Walk in Fire. He, he actually said a couple of the titles. You don't, you can't make that up if you don't actually have a copy of the album that you actually said the, the titles of some of the songs on the CD. Right, right. That time I knew it was real. I'm like, this is validation that you cannot, you can't buy this. So wow. those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. When you want to, when you meet your heroes, you want able to look at you as their contemporaries, as opposed to just if I had a nickel for it, every time I've I've met somebody. Oh yeah, I used to be in a band, or I I used to be a singer. Sure. Or, you know, I never wanted to be seen as one of those guys to my contemporaries. I wanted to be able to be validated or respected for what they gave me, and I got that totally from Perry. Yeah, and you're still a fan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think one of the things that I, I want to do with this show is just, it's, I don't want to do the run-of-the-mill kind of stuff, man. Right, right, right. I like showing people that, you know, that you're a fan. You're still well, this a is, fan. Yeah, this is why I wanted to do this with you. I mean, I've already passed the the album, the, the uh, interview cycle for Complicated for the new solo Right, album. right. I read it, that's our, that, you know, that was a few weeks ago that that whole window is closed. But when you asked me to do this, I didn't say, well, let's wait for the next album and we can, when I have something to plug, I'm not plugging right. anything right now. This is you and I just having conversation and we're yeah, mainly man. talking about the past. We're talking about 
way back in the day where, and, and some things in between, but it's mm -hmm. really taking it back. And that to me is more exciting to talk about than to talk about, well, what's this song about? And who did you, who's playing on that song? That's, sure. Of course, that's great if you're pushing an album, but this is just a conversation between two guys who love music, two guys yeah, who are man. fans of music, and, and, you know, we have that mutual respect for what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the last question for you. Hit me. <laughs> if there's one song. Our four-hour interview here. <laughs> I love it, right? right? Yeah, dude. If there's one song, okay. If there's one song that you wish you wrote, what would it be? Hmm. Yeah, that's the one that's going to take time. <laughs> I told you. Damn. Well, and, and again, it's only because of content. Right. It could be a badass rock song. Oh, oh man, the light of the sky. Right. Like from Van Halen. I, I wish I wrote that. No, it, 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 there's an emotional side. I wish I wrote um, Sometimes It Snows in April from, from Prince. Yeah. Most people won't even know that song, but it's oh, one man. of those deep, deep cut songs that really gets me every time I hear it. But, yes. uh, oh boy. So it really depends on the moment and the mood that we're looking for. I wish I wrote that song. But I man, I, I I'm giving kudos to everybody else, and the one band I'm I'm missing out on giving kudos to is Queen, like the, the ultimate kudos. The song Innuendo, I wish I, I wrote that. Wow. I wish I could have wow. written that with those guys. That that's that's one of those songs. Like, it's so damn cool. It's so just everything about it is just it's it's all there. Everything is there. I agree with you, man. What an awesome awesome ending to that, dude. Right on. Dude, what are you what are you doing next? What are you what's your deal? Mainly it's catching up with all the shows and all the events that were canceled or postponed mm -hmm. during COVID. Obviously, one of those just passed, the Prague Power Festival that I just came home from. Right. Um I've got some other makeup shows coming up. We've got the Sons of Apollo uh South America tour coming up in August that we're making up. Um Let's see. I've got the Ma Monsters on the Mountain in August, which is a it's an right offshoot of the Monsters of Rock Cruise, yep. which I also did this year after a two year hiatus. So yeah, it's it's mostly just making up stuff. Where can people yeah. find you? I'm not as uh, accessible. My my website still exists, jeffscottsoto.com, still there, but it's not really very active. The only three that I'm on is Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if it doesn't have a blue badge next to it, it ain't me. So you if go, you're looking guys. up anything Jeff Scott Soto on those three formats, make sure there's a blue badge next to it. Dude, thank you so much for doing this interview. I uh, This has been a long time coming, man. Thank you so much. Well, dude, I, I, I apologize for the years that you've been reaching out to me and saying, you know, from the, the first day we met, it's like, man, <laughs> musically, you and I, we're on the same page and we got to do something together. And I say, yeah, yeah. And then I get so busy. And every time you reach out, I'm like, damn, I, I, sorry, Ken, I can't. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm telling you now on a podcast where people can hear it, my voice saying it, it's not just me saying it to you. We are going to do something together in the near yeah! future. <laughs> this is my soul, brother, man. I'm telling you. It's like, it's, it's frightening how, like, yeah, I, I dig you, Jeff. I do, right man. Thank you so much, my bro. You got it. <laughs> well, there you have it. My conversation with Jeff Scott Soto. I swear that guy is, he's like my brother. He's my soul brother. It's like we were separated at birth or something. It's crazy. 
Unbelievable, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, dude. And all of you just, if you see Jeff is coming to town in one of his many bands, Sons of Apollo, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, man, just all the projects that he's in, go check him out. You will not be disappointed. What an incredible singer and obviously such a really cool guy. I'm also asking you guys to go visit my website, www.kenvaldez.com. Over there, you can find out more about my music as well as more about the show. And uh, hey, speaking of shows, I got some coming up. I got my concert dates on there as well. Also, you can find my social media links. And hey, I love hearing from you guys, so hit me up. I'll get back to you for sure. And last but certainly not least, if you enjoy this show, if you like what you're hearing and you want to show a little support, go visit me at Venmo. My handle is at Ken Valdez. Believe me when I tell you, as far as this show is concerned and with any support you give, a little love goes a long, long way. Well, there you have it, my friends. Until the next time, be good to each other. Take care of one another. Bye-bye. Here's the truth.